today, but we are going to be in Galatians. One of the great issues that we face, and you can boil them down to all kinds of things, science and technology and money and employment and relationships, but I'm going to say one of those big things that we face is how we deal with people, especially how we deal with people as transformed people. And we're going to talk about what that means in just a little bit. Have you heard the old line that says, to dwell above with those we love? Oh, that will be glory. To live below with those we know. Now that's a different story. There was a guy who was an avid sailor, but on one of his journeys, the boat became lost at sea and he became shipwrecked on a small uncharted desert island. And no one came to his rescue. And he was there for a long, long time. And so he got involved in his new lifestyle, his new routine. He, he built some little structures there where he could live and so forth. And after years of waiting, he finally saw a boat and began to signal it. And they came ashore to rescue him. He was so excited to be rescued from his situation. And as they were gathering up the very few things that he had... They said, um, hey, we've got one question for you. Yeah, what's that? Well, we see that you've built a nice little compound here, but we see that you've got three structures. What are these little houses for? He said, well, this one is the one I live in, and this is the one that I go to church in. And they said, well, what's the third one for? He said, well, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> oh, that's a better joke than that. It's the problem of people, how we live with them, what we do about them. And I've got to tell you, a transformed life is a life that puts you with people, that provides you with power, and focuses you on a purpose. And I think that we can learn that in many places, including in Galatians. But you know that Galatians was written toward the end of Paul's life, around 66 to 67 AD. Ten years before that, ten years before that, when the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, he would say these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. He said to Timothy, For a time is coming... When people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Boy, does that sound contemporary? They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. We tend to like those people. They tell us what we already know, what we already like. They, he says, will reject the truth and chase after myths. Now, he's telling Timothy that, who's in his, his first and his only ministry to this church in Ephesus. And he's saying, Timothy, you're going to find people who are like that. You know, that parable that Jesus taught about the soils, the sower, the seed, could also be thought of as a parable about people. And you're going to find people on the path. And so Timothy finds those people along the path. And they're just absolutely all over the place. 
And it's his obligation. It's his purpose by the power of God to teach, to love, to care for those people. Though they may not think like him, act like him, live like him, dress like him. It was still his ministry to do that. So Paul would write in Galatians chapter 4 verses 8 through 20. And I'm going to read that passage. That's where we are today. Here's what the Apostle Paul said to the Galatians. Now, Galatia is not like a particular city. It's a much larger area. Geographically, it's, it's uh, very large. It might be like if Paul were to write to us today, he might say, and to the Volusians, you know, those who live in Volusia County. But he's saying to the Galatians, those who live in this region that we call Galatia. It was a place that he went and began a ministry there. Not just a ministry, but several. So he was planting churches in many of these cities. And he had a tent making ministry and he was supporting himself. But in that place, he found people who were so far from the gospel. In fact, many had never heard the gospel. They were the people that God had called Paul to. Paul, relying on God's power, driven by God's purpose for his life, was willing to serve, love, care for, and teach them. And to establish them in the faith. Have you ever had somebody, maybe as a child, who was so important to you, one of the great things that my mother did for the four of us was she made us go to Sunday school every week. I think it was an hour of free babysitting for her. She could drop us off, we'd go in the church building, hour or so later we'd come back and wait for her to come pick us up. But I remember those days so clearly when people, I didn't, I don't remember especially the lessons or the Bible verses, but I remember those people teaching me the foundational truths about God. And how much they love God and how I could love God. And more importantly, that there was a God who loved me. So maybe you've been such a teacher. Maybe you're in a teaching ministry now. Maybe you're involved in our children's ministry. Don't ever look down on that kind of service because it can have an eternal impact. So the Apostle Paul is teaching them the foundational things. And they are, as a group of churches... Becoming Christian. So Paul leaves Galatia, continues on his missionary journey, and then he hears some 18 months later, Hey Paul, let's talk about the churches in Galatia. Why? What's wrong? When I left there, all was well. The churches are strong. They're growing. They're having faith in Christ. They're sharing that faith. They're going to be a strong force for Jesus. And somebody had to sit down and, and share the truth with Paul Listen, others have come in. False teachers have come in. People who wanted to capitalize on making disciples of their own. Not only, they're not teaching what you taught, they're not teaching the gospel of Jesus. And Paul is so angry. Pastor Cord said that in his message last week. Paul is angry when he's writing the book of Galatians. And I think he maintains that anger pretty well all the way through the book. So he writes to them now, Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, referring back to the time when Paul first came to them, you did not know God. You didn't know him. But I 
through God's power and through God's purpose, gave this people the opportunity to know the one true living God. It gave you that opportunity. You did not know God. You were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. So they worship the things in nature. Holidays and stones and shrines put up by men and false gods. Did you ever watch the old movie Groundhog's Day? I love that movie. You know, in just a few weekends, it's going to be Groundhog's Day weekend all over again. And I'm going to sit down and watch that movie again. And my favorite line in the whole movie is when Bill Murray is talking to his love interest in the movie. And he's explaining to her what's taking place in his life. And he says, I am a God. Because he repeats the same day, day after day after day for years. I am not the God. But I am a God. And there are people all over, all around us, maybe people that we love, who are very much like that. I have a friend on Facebook who mixes different kinds of religion, including Christianity. Lumps them all together and puts these truths out uh, on her posts. And you can tell that people draw strength and comfort from that. But I'll tell you. There's no other name given under heaven wherein men are saved except the name of Jesus. And so Paul is pointing these people to him. How is it, he says, that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? He's talking about those false gods. They don't see, they don't breathe, they don't hear, they don't talk. Sometimes that's how my wife describes me, but that's how Paul describes these false gods. Having ears but do not hear, eyes but do not see, mouths but do not speak. I've had the opportunity to be in Japan a couple of times and I've been to Kamakura where there's the great statue of Buddha. It's, I don't know, 13 feet tall and thousands of pounds. Interesting to me a couple of things. One, it's hollow on the inside. And the second thing is Buddha's eyes are closed. That Buddha does not see, hear think, feel, love. And yet people by the thousands travel there to see and to worship at the great Buddha. Paul says it's foolish. There's no end in that. Do you wish, he says, to be enslaved by them all over again? So the idea there is of a slave. And Paul in his writings gives us two opportunities. We can either be a slave to Christ, or we can be in bondage to everything else. Everything else. Any God you want to choose, any lifestyle you want to believe in, any place you want to go, thing you want to do, book you want to read, it's either give it all to Jesus or all of it is given to everything else. And it doesn't make any difference what it is. Do you wish to become enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. And then Paul writes something that just kind of can really get to your heart. I fear for you. I want to tell you there are people in this church, and you should tell your friends, who believe in the power of prayer and believe in the transformed life so much that they fear for those who are far from God. 
That's one thing we really love about this church. It is a refuge. It's a place where folks can come, experience life transformation. We pray literally for people around the world. I don't know if you were here over the weekend and saw the video by Prison Fellowship. Do you know the representative from Prison Fellowship was here all weekend and 40 people responded to her need for volunteers to go into the correction of facilities in this area. That's a great thing because we have people who fear for the souls of others. Sometimes we just think it's a, I don't know, it doesn't really matter. God bless you. Off you go. The, the souls of men and women are at stake for all eternity. Paul says, I fear for you. That somehow, he says, I've wasted my efforts, my work. I've wasted my time. So the apostle Paul, who's on a big mission to, to, to evangelize the world as it's possible in his time. Sometimes I think that I've wasted my time on you. He uses another strong word in verse 12. I plead with you. It's not like, hey, if I could make a suggestion. Here's the scripture of the day. Here's a nugget to think about. Here's a Facebook post. No. See, I plead for you. It's serious for him. Eternity hangs in the balance. But keep praying for those people you love. Keep fearing for them. Keep expending that energy. Any work done on behalf of Jesus is never wasted. Right? Keep working for Christ. I plead with you, brothers and sisters... Become like me, for I became like you, meaning, hey, I came to where you live. I inhabited your space. I lived in your country. I ate your food. I stayed in your homes. I became like you for the gospel. Become like me, he says. As you know, verse 13, it was because of an illness. It's an important word we'll talk about in a moment. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul had that thorn in the flesh that he prayed for three times that would be gone. Remember that? And a lot of people have wondered, well, what was that thorn? Some thought it was diabetes. Some thought it was uh, some other kind of internal malady. Some thought it was his mother-in-law. It probably has more to do with his vision. and We'll talk about that in a moment. He couldn't see. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial, it's hard to take a guy that's blind and take him around town and set him in places where he can eat and talk and preach. Where I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. They loved him. You got to make that note because we're going to talk about love next week. They loved him. You did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Wouldn't that radically transform our journey every single day? If we thought for one moment that the person on our path coming toward us, if we thought for a moment that person reminds me of Jesus, you know, whether they do or not. 
I heard a remark in a coffee shop early this morning speaking about uh, the workers who were there at Starbucks. And the person's comment was, I don't like having to come here, not because of the cost of the coffee, but because of the liberal, woke, another word, who work here. Well, okay, I can understand that. But let's unpack it. If you really feel that way, keep it to yourself. Secondly, if you really feel that way, pray about it. Third, if you really feel about it like that, love those people because of Jesus. And fourth, if you really feel that way, love those people to Jesus. But that guy in that context is never even going to speak to them because he's already created a concept in his mind where they don't count. And I'm going to guess by my interactions with him previously that he's one of those who is not yet transformed by Jesus Christ. So should I say I'm not going there for coffee because of that non-transformed life? No, I want to inhabit that space and find ways over time through testimony and sharing maybe to lead him to the cross of Christ. Think, uh, if I were, you, you thought of me as though I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. And you say, well, it would be easy to do that for the Apostle Paul. He's an apostle. It'd be easy to welcome Billy Graham into my house. He's Billy Graham. It'd be easy if it was... But it's hard when they don't look like us, when they don't talk like us, they don't think like us, they don't act like us. They're not all pretty like we are. They don't smell like we smell, right? They don't come from the right side of the tracks. And you can add whatever uh, descriptive term you want to that. Why don't we think of meeting people as though we were meeting Christ himself. And if not Christ himself, meeting people on behalf of Christ. I think that Jesus puts people in the path for us, in my path and in yours. So the next interruption in your daily schedule, in your life, when you're interrupted by a person on the path, how are you going to respond to it? Look, it's an angel of the Lord it's Christ himself, or it's somebody that I just don't think I need to be around. Verse 15, where then is your blessing of me now? He's writing from a distance. You gave up on my teaching. You gave up on my work. Where's all this love now? You loved me when I was there. I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Why does he use that phrase, torn out your eyes? Well, here's why. I think that Paul's problem was with respect to his, his sight. Almost said vision. I think Paul's vision was great. I think his sight was very poor. I share probably only that in common with the Apostle Paul. In 2016, uh, I, have a, I have a lot of uh, stuff going on in my eyes. In fact, I see my surgeon... On February the 3rd, every year I have to go to my surgeon 
just to take a look in there. They put a ladder up to my face. They climb inside my eyes. They kick around for a while. And then they come out and tell me what it's like. In 2016, I went blind in my left eye. I couldn't see anything. And I had a surgeon at that time. He had already done some work on the, on the eye. And we talked about it, prayed about it. And he said, you know, you really need to go to Boston to see a specialist there. And I said, I have confidence in God. We've prayed about it and I have confidence in you. Well, he did that surgery and I have sight in my left eye. A few months later, I went blind in my right eye. Same situation. Talked to my surgeon. He did surgery on my right eye. I have vision in my right eye. So I can, generally speaking, see, for which I'm very grateful. I can only imagine what it was like for the Apostle Paul. In fact, the word that is used there with respect to eyes is the word, is the Greek word, ophthalmology. Did we actually get that on the, uh, it was the strange looking word on the notes down below. It's the same word, ophthalmology. You go to an ophthalmologist because you've got a situation with respect to your eyes. So Paul says, you took care of me even though my illness was severe. Verse 16. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? See, people had come in and devastated the teaching that the Apostle Paul had done. Not telling the truth. Telling lies, fabrications, falsehoods, half-truths. So Paul comes back and said, look, I'm still telling you the truth. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. Verse 18. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. You know, we're talking about people, about power, and about purpose. Provided that the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I again I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed. That word formed is the word morph. Like metamorphosis, you're you're the same, but you're being changed, transformed into something new. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone. He knows he's writing with pretty bold strokes. There's venom in that pen and he is releasing it on the Galatians and they know it too. He's calling them back to God. And sometimes in that case, you've got to speak in that manner. Straightforward, truthful. Stop doing that dumb stuff. I wish I could be with you and change my tone because, he says, I am perplexed about you. He's totally confused. So I'm looking up there at the time. I got it. I see it now. Thank you. Um, So he is completely perplexed about them, why they've gone backwards, and what to do about them so that they can go forward again in faith. When I was a kid, we had a friend that was in our group all the time. Great guy. Uh, just great smile, great personality. He was a great athlete. But he went through times of what we called intermittent revival. We'd have a revival at church and he'd be there, be there every night. He'd get so excited. En- enroll in Bible college, take some classes, play basketball. And halfway through the semester, the faith that he had just didn't make it. And he would slide back. 
and then later on another period of revival. And he would move forward again, back and forth and back and forth. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been in that situation yourself? Have you ever just, you know what, given up on your faith? I have a friend um, who made a substantial investment in my life a long time ago as a, as a college and seminary professor. A great love for him. And a number of years ago, he abandoned his faith. And that, that struck me personally. And it hurt. And caused me to think a whole lot of things. Look, it'd be like if the Apostle Paul gave up his faith and the Galatians found out about it, it would really put them into confusion. But he gave up his faith. But the church that he attended never gave up on him. And just like the young man I told you about, we did not give up on him. Our youth group prayed for him. We spent time with him. We loved him. And he came back to where he was able to hold on to his faith himself. And the professor that I just told you about, after a period of years and going through the devastating um, um, death of his wife and becoming her only caregiver and being with her until literally hospice on the last day was there. He told me the thing that turned him around and brought him back. He's very familiar with all the God stories, idol stories and stories of creation and all that that's out there to read. He said the thing that brought him back to the Christian gospel was I wrestled with the question, how could an all-powerful and loving God come down here and wash the feet of his creation and serve mankind in that way? And love us at that level. He said myths don't tell that kind of story. False and other religions don't tell that kind of story. But the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is about the power of God. Who comes down to people. And transforms their life. For a purpose. I love an old hymn. I heard you sing one a little bit earlier. Don't you love those? Do you know the old song, It Is Well With My Soul? Written by a man who literally had lost everything that mattered to him, that he loved. This world was different. And so he could have been like the Galatians and gone backwards But he was more like Paul, standing pat on the truth of the gospel. And in that old hymn, he would write these words. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, 
it is well with my soul. I will close by pointing you to the passage in um, the book of Acts, around chapter 26, maybe verses 26 and 27. It's right around in there. You can look in your Bibles. It's the red letters. It's when Jesus is speaking to the Apostle Paul. And he tells them, Jesus tells the Apostle Paul, you know, he had lost his sight, Paul had. I don't know if that was the beginning of the trouble with his eyes or the beginning of a new way to see the vision that Jesus had for his life. But he tells the Paul, I am sending you to preach forgiveness. I am sending you to love. I'm sending you to men, women, and children that you don't know yet and you may not like, but your job is to love them. Why? One, because I'm telling you to do it. Two, that's the example I gave. Three, you're going to be the witness of a transformed life. Now, question for you. When we walk in these doors... We may, may feel like we're in the transitions, uh, transition zone, the transformational zone. Here we feel good. We're with people who know us, love us, not going to judge us, maybe. But it's when we go out those doors, are we still living the transformed life? Your call, you get to choose. You can live like the Apostle Paul and be with Jesus forever. Or you can live like the Galatians, wavering back and forth until somebody calls you back to Jesus. And you may be the somebody that somebody else needs to call them back home. Lord, thank you. For never giving up on us. People. Thanking you for the power that you provide in the gospel. And in the life stories of so many millions of people. Who have sold out for Jesus sake. And thanking you for the purpose that you give for each one of us. Because we already know. If we have a pulse. We have a purpose. May we follow it till Jesus comes again. In whose name I pray, amen. Blessings.